0: Everyone. So, As I mentioned last week, we're doing a sermon series right now on the names of Jesus. So the time after Christmas and leading up to Easter is often a time in the church calendar and the Christian calendar where we focus on the life and the teachings of Jesus. And I thought this year a creative way to do that might be to look at some of the names that he's given in our scriptures. So this morning we're looking at a name that the author of Hebrews gives to Jesus. Perhaps you've picked up on it in our liturgy already. We're looking at Hebrews chapter 12, So, if you've got a Bible. You can turn there. The words will also be up on the screen. But we are going to start at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to give a couple moments for you all to turn there. It's close to the end of the Bible. I'm looking at this. my. <laughs> All right, Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is the word of the Lord. Now, just prior to this passage that we've just read in chapter 12, we have a whole long lineage of names that the writer of Hebrew gives us Characters in Scripture in the days of the Old Covenant who faithfully persevered in times of difficulty. Actors in the drama of Scripture who demonstrated their faith by believing and then living in ways that mirrored that belief. By faith, for example, in 11 verse 7, Noah built an ark to save his family, even though he couldn't yet see what he'd been warned about. He just simply trusted that what God had told him would come to be. By faith, Abraham left his home country, even though he did not know where he was going. Most of us can't even imagine what that would be like, being told to go somewhere you don't know where. These are characters in scriptures who, who didn't cling to what was theirs, to their own origin, what was good about the past, what once was, what they owned. They had their eyes set forward on what God was doing. By faith, they did these things. By faith, Moses scorned the treasures of Egypt and chose to be mistreated along with his people. He left Egypt not fearing the king's anger, but rather persevering because he saw him who is invisible. Right? That's where his focus was. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea. By faith, the Israelites marched around the walls of Jericho. By faith, Rahab welcomed and hid spies in her home. Why? Because she had faith somehow in the God of Israel. All of these individuals, the writer says to us in the last verse of chapter 11, all of these were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. None of them. All of them had a faith in God, even though they hadn't been promised anything in particular. We, alternatively, have been promised something. And so the writer says at the beginning of chapter 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. See, God had something planned that was better. Someone, someone who would bound all of scripture and all the promises and and all the prophecies and the law together in himself so that all the striving and the persevering of our predecessors wouldn't be for naught. It wasn't for nothing. They didn't strive for nothing. It was all pointing to something. And what the writer here is doing is pulling all of these faithful characters together now into a metaphor to speak about the Christian faith. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. What a beautiful image. All of these witnesses who came before are are like people gathered as spectators in a stadium, cheering on those who have come after them who are running a race that they've already completed. Athletic contests were, were common in Greco-Roman literature. It was a huge part of their culture. And the Christians to whom the writer is speaking are evidently in need of some cheering on, some, some encouraging. You need to persevere, the text says in chapter 10, verse 36. You have need of endurance. In other words, you have grown weary. This passage is for those who have grown weary in their faith for those for whom their spirits have given out. They've lost sight of the finish line. They they don't think they can keep going. So the writer is using the image of running a race to spur them on, using these spectators as an image of the heavenly witnesses who are already worshiping at the throne and cheering us on. This text was actually... Danny and I's wedding text and the pastor who offered the message at our wedding encouraged us at one point to look out at the crowd of people who had come to witness the event to offer their love and support and he told us to simply take it in. Look at all these people who have come to support you and are cheering you on. Just, just, just take it in. The writer of Hebrews in a way is asking us to do the very same thing. Just take it in. Picture this cloud of witnesses around you, and just, just take a moment and take it in. Because how much more is that heavenly cloud of witnesses cheering us on in the faith? for those loved ones who have passed on, perhaps too soon in our own minds, for for dear family members and friends and mentors and people who have inspired us, who have gone ahead. What a lovely image to be reminded that they are now part of that heavenly cloud of witnesses that's rooting for us, that's cheering us on, rooting for us to keep going. Because what's been promised, what they've seen now in full, but we only see in part, will be revealed, they're saying if we just persevere a bit longer. Therefore, says the writer, since we have such an incredible cloud of witnesses who have gone before us and who have passed the baton to us, tasking us with carrying forward what they were carrying, the fire, the torch of what they began but never got to see in full, verse 4 or verse 1, let us then throw off everything that hinders. And the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked off for us. Throw it off, the writer says. Just just get rid of it. Anything keeping you back from running this race, if it's holding you back, be done with it. Whatever it is. Because in order to travel far, we need to travel light. It's in essence what Jesus said to his disciples. It's kind of like that image that we looked at back in the Jeremiah series, if you'll remember last fall, about the linen belt that Jeremiah was asked by God to buy and then store away in some rocks. Do you remember this? We talked about this, I think, back in November. Some days later, Jeremiah was asked to go and retrieve it, but it was completely ruined. Stained, rotten, smelly, bleh, stinky, nasty stuff. And the message that Jeremiah was to give to the Israelites was that they were like this unwearable piece of fabric. God had wanted to bind them around himself like a belt so that they could cling to him, that they could be clung together, if that's a word. They, They could be cinched together and and entangled up in the things of one another so that he could wear them and they could show off the beauty of their God. But they were unwearable. Because rather than clinging to God, sin was clinging to them and entangling them up in things that weren't of God. In a similar way, there's things in our lives that can hinder us, both individually and collectively, from showing off the beauty of our God. There's things that keep us back from truly running that race and demonstrating the beauty of our Lord. There's pieces of our own wardrobe that we get entangled in, layers we need to shed, baggage that we need to be released from, situations or past events or regrets or circumstances or or bitterness or anger or temptations or habits that are keeping us from running with perseverance the race marked out for us. And every single one of us needs to take stock of what are those things? What's holding me back? Not to put it on somebody else, as if somebody else is holding us back. No, what are the things that are holding me back from truly embracing this race that's been marked out before me? Because the truth is that perseverance requires a lot out of us. And that's what the writer is getting at. Like a a marathon runner. They need to make sure, in order to persevere in the run, that they have the appropriate support and the appropriate preparation without anything getting in the way. They need good food, good coaching, a good cheering squad. I've never run a marathon, but I'm assuming these are good things. They need to do their homework, right, and count the cost. It's a pretty big cost. It's a long run. Have a regular routine and and devote time to strengthening their muscles, to fill their bodies and their minds with good things. You need to have a good attitude to do something this hard to spend time with people who encourage them onwards. The writer uses this analogy because it's actually a really helpful way of metaphorically speaking about our faith. For the vast majority of us, faith isn't a 100-meter sprint. It's a full-blown marathon. It's hard. It's draining and involves many moments where sometimes we question our own sanity. It's difficult. But it's also why so many of The memorial services that we've had here in this congregation over the last number of years have been so moving and so meaningful. We hear of these long faith journeys that ebbed and flowed, of course, no doubt, but that involved years, sometimes 90-plus years of faithfulness, faithful living and dependence and perseverance, which is why the writer of Hebrews makes it clear that Perseverance requires something, actually, that's even more essential than all the things that I've already mentioned. You can do all the prep work and all the training and have all the right routines and all the support networks in place. Your faith, in other words, can be as disciplined or religious as you want it to be. But all of that will fall flat. And you won't finish the race if your eyes aren't set on the final outcome. The whole reason why you're running, the end goal of all of it. The whole race means nothing. Our faith, as we talked about last week, means nothing if we don't have our eyes set, fixated, and focused on, and obsessed about getting to Jesus at the end of it all. It's often actually a little surprising to me how often people speak about life after death or heaven and don't even mention Jesus. He's the whole point. (laughs) It's only through him that all of this is even possible, that we can even talk about a life after death, that we can talk about new creation, that we can talk about resurrection. He's why we run this race at all. I haven't run a marathon myself, as I said, but I did witness a good friend of mine run the full 42 kilometers, and she had to keep her mind focused on the goal. That's why a lot of inspirational speakers will say the same thing. Keep keep your focus on the reason why you're doing what you're doing. Always keep the goal in mind. Always know the why factor. Why am I doing this? Why are we doing this? Why are we here? Why am I speaking to you? Why are most of you listening? (sighs) For those of you that are falling asleep. Why do we have coffee and fellowship after the service and want to be involved in each other's lives? Why does the worship team come up here every Sunday after Sunday to lead us? Why? Why do we do this? Verse 2. We do this because we are fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer or the author and perfecter of our faith. That is the only reason. If we don't have that as our focus, all the other reasons will take priority when they need to be secondary. This is why we do this. I spoke last week about not sidelining Jesus, and it's actually, when you think about it, it's really difficult for us to not do this because we so badly don't want to be the secondary character in our own lives. We don't want to put ourselves in the back seat. We don't want to be the supporting actor. We don't want to be the sidekick in our own stories, the passenger, the wallflower, the observer. We want to be front and center. Making our own decisions and choices, having things go the way we want, to be active in our own lives and do what we think is best and most productive and most beneficial, we don't want to be second or to answer to anyone. That's our inclination. It's so easy, even in a passage like this, to read it and to focus, put the focus back on ourselves and turn it into some sort of self-help inspirational talk. Run the race and, and don't give up on the things that I want in this life. For my business, for my church, for my relationship, persevere so that I'll accomplish my goals and my hopes and my dreams. But ironically, this passage is telling us to do the exact opposite. Look at how Jesus is described. He's the pioneer, the author. The beginning, the captain, the leader, the founder, the OG, as some would say. The inspiration, the forerunner, the predecessor, the first one, the initiator of our faith. He's the author of it. And not just that, he's also the perfecter, the sanctifier, the completer, the fulfiller, the creative editor and refiner, the only one who's actually allowed to be a perfectionist. He's the only example of perfection. How, how can we take the focus off of this person, the writer wants to urge us to consider? Because he's everything. He's the author and the perfector. He's the justifier and the sanctifier. He's the beginning, the middle, and the end. He's the alpha and the omega. In him, all things hold together. Why would we ever put the focus on anything else? Why would our lives ever be about something or someone else? There's no freedom to run with those things. The freedom to shed off all the burdens and the baggage and the barriers that we encounter in this life and to run truly unencumbered in this race is only available if we've got our sights set on the why of our faith. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full, not partly or half-heartedly, look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In other words, they they won't matter as much anymore. They won't be front and center. The things of this earth will grow strangely dim, in the light of his glory and grace. See, because the more we actually look at Jesus, the more wondrous he becomes and the less we care about those other things that used to take up all of our attention. It's why Jesus isn't grouped with all the other heroes of the faith. He's a category all on his own. He's a hero like no other. And he's not sitting up in, you know, the bleachers in the executive lounge like Caesar, popping popcorn and watching us run a race that he's never had to do. Look at the rest of verse 2. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Scorning its shame, and so sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Just think for a moment about how much shame Jesus would have endured experiencing what he did. The incarnation, even, the birth into humanity was already humbling enough to then have to endure the kind of death he did, as the Son of God who, as the devil tempted him, could have just snapped his fingers and in a moment been whisked away by angels. He could have done that, but he didn't. To be humiliated before men who were completely ignorant of his mission. To be called a liar, a blasphemer, a fake, a criminal. To be beaten and spit on, whipped, mocked, nailed naked to a cross for the whole world to see. See, the Jewish leaders who wanted Jesus to be crucified wanted him to be cursed by God. And to experience the utmost shame. So that everyone who walked by would look at him and say, Oh, the shame of that man. Oh, the shame. Shame on his family. Shame on his religion. Oh, the shame. But according to the writer of Hebrews, Jesus scorned the shame. He shed it off. He threw off whatever would hinder him from keeping his eyes on the final outcome, on the glory that would come, on the joy that awaited him. He endured it. He endured it. And endurance is simply not something that comes easy to us. I mean, shoot. I had a dentist appointment the other week, and I was sitting in the chair, and all I could think about was, in 30 minutes, this will be over. In 25 minutes, this will all be over. Right? We can And that's, that's a bit dramatic, but on, we do this on a much larger scale as well. Maybe, maybe in the new year, this won't be an issue anymore. Maybe by the summer, it'll be better. Maybe in a few months, I'll feel good about this. We, we so often look ahead to release ourselves from the pains of today. It's a, it's, it comes natural to us. It makes sense. It's a coping mechanism. We think ahead to better days because we just want today to be over. But what we're actually doing is fixating ourselves on exactly what it is that's making us weary. It's like if a marathon runner stops thinking about the end goal and becomes more mindful of the pain that they've started experiencing in their calf muscle. Or that ankle that they twisted a couple months ago is starting to irk again. Or that protein bar they had too early to the start time is starting to cause a cramp in their side. The more we fixate on the pain, the more it can dominate us and encourage us gradually to want to quit. To to regret, to to back off, to to become bitter, or to think that this was just a bad idea. It's things like, we're talking here about a specific kind of pain, right? It's things like the pain of guilt. Guilt from a past experience or a decision that, that nags at us and keeps us from living freely in God's grace. It's pain like the pain of shame that forces us into a place of fragility, of feeling less than, of not feeling heard, that keeps us from living courageously into the identity that Christ has given us. It's pain like the pain affiliated with our own brokenness, whether that's an addiction or failure or a temptation or a habit that keeps us from accepting the joy of belonging in the community that the Spirit provides for us. Whatever it is, this pain is what we throw off. We throw it off, we scorn it, we discard it, as Jesus did. Because as one scholar put it, we bear our cross, but we do not carry the cross Jesus bore. That's not our job. He carried the cross alone. We carry ours by unwaveringly looking at him. See, we realize in Jesus... That to pick up our cross and follow Him isn't meant to be a burden. It's actually what enables us to run faster. To run, actually I shouldn't say faster, to run with endurance and perseverance. Because we're focused on the only one who has gone before us, who will truly inspire us unendingly to persevere. Until we too receive the glory that He won on our behalf. See, we don't have to try to win the race here on earth. He's already won it. Which is why the writer then says in verse 3, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him. We consider a lot of people all the time. It's just not often Jesus. We gain inspiration from those who have done great things, who have achieved more than we have. Every inspirational speaker you listen to will use someone in history usually, right? It's a bit of a a gimmick to inspire their audience to be courageous, brave, take your life by by the horns, confident, secure, whatever it is. Look at how this person did it. Look at what they accomplished. Look at what they endured. It's very inspirational. Preachers do it all the time. In fact, I'll do it right now. I recently started watching the sixth and final season of The Crown series on Netflix. I'm not sure how many of you are familiar. Um, But it's a show about the reign of Queen Elizabeth from the time of her coronation all the way up into her jubilee. And then, of course, all the family drama, if you're familiar with the royal family, in between. Of course, a key figure later in her life was Princess Diana. And the few episodes, the first few episodes of season six, depict the princess's last eight weeks before her very tragic death. And it's just so clear in the way that the producers have gone about it, in the way that the episodes and dialogue is laid out, that Diana had a personality that the world just flocked to. Just flocked to. With all, even though she had some flaws and failures, she was immensely inspirational. It's why there have been so many documentaries about who she was. Look at her. Look at what she did and what she cared about. Look at how she inspired people. She was the people's princess. That's who she was. She met the people where they were at. The author of Hebrews is, is kind of using the same sort of gimmick here. It's doing, he's doing the same thing. But here, we're being asked to realize that the only figure in history that we can ever actually think about and gain inspiration from 24-7, 352 days of the year and never grow weary of it is Jesus. You won't find a loophole or a shadow side in Jesus. There are no hidden character flaws. There's no secret agendas. There's no moral failure hiding somewhere under the carpet. In other words, he will not fail you. You can never cease to be inspired by Jesus. Which is why he's the only one worthy of such a name that we're talking about today. No one else can be called this if, you, if you're a barista working in a coffee shop, no one can be called the author and perfecter of coffee. It's just not a thing. If you're a teacher working in a school, no one can be called the author and perfector of teaching. It's just not a thing. He is the only one, period the only one who can heal the shame and the regret within us and inspire our weary bodies to run the race marked out for us. We always look for perfection in someone else. We forget to look at Jesus as the author and perfecter of faith. Not just our personal faith, faith in general. Remember the passage in Isaiah. They who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. It's a promise. It will happen. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Some of us this morning are feeling quite faint, perhaps, out of breath, Like, all we're doing is just putting one foot in front of the other, barely walking, let alone running. But hear this. Our heavenly coach is walking beside us, lifting up our chin and encouraging us to look up and see the cloud of witnesses that are spurring us on, and then turning our gaze towards Him To be reminded of the joy that is yet to come. We don't have to be anxious about the future. We don't have to agonize over decisions or be slave to the tyranny of our own wants and desires. The path is marked out before us. Whether we see the markings or not. They're there just as luminescent lights light up an airport runway. In fact, every time you use Google Maps and you see that blue pathway lined out for you, think about Jesus. Why not? Walk by faith on the road that is marked out before you so that you can say with Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord will award to me on that day, our faithful Jesus, who is authoring and perfecting each step as we go. Would you pray with me? Living God, as we transition now to your table of grace and mercy, Lord, we want to acknowledge and recognize how deeply we need you. Lord, running our the race sometimes at times can feel like we're running on air and then at other times feels like we can barely lift up our feet, like there's just rocks and hurdles in front of us. Jesus, we pray that as we come to your table, that you would just open up that avenue before us so that we may see you more clearly and taste of your goodness more sweetly. Lord, remind us that you are the one who nourishes us for this road ahead. May we take in your Holy Spirit. May we be mindful of the love of the Father and the depth of your grace that has been given to us. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.